I'm not sure it was ever easy, but it sure was a lot simpler 10 years ago, 15 years ago in our parents' generation and working in organizations. You reported to one person, you kept them happy, and it helped you to serve the organization well and advance your career. And the world has changed on that. Today, we all have so many different stakeholders that we report to, that we're responsible to, that we need to influence both people above us, below us, and of course, our customers and stakeholders in the industry. On today's show, how to influence numerous stakeholders. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 240. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show will give you access to the best thinkers, resources, and actions that will help you to develop your leadership skills. And I'm glad you joined in today because a topic today that is one that has become such an important reality for so many of us and different than the world that a lot of us not only grew up in, but the business and organizational world that many of us were used to from a decade ago, ago, and that is how to influence and even manage lots of different stakeholders. The world has really changed on this uh, over the last, especially the last five or 10 years. We're going to talk about that a lot, and I'm really thrilled to be able to welcome today's guest who has a lot of expertise here, and that is Andy Kaufman. Andy works with organizations around the world who want to improve their ability to deliver projects and lead teams. He's a keynote speaker and executive coach with a passion for helping people get things done. And he's the host of the People and Projects podcast, which is how I heard about him originally. We uh, have a listener who put us in touch and said that Andy would do a fabulous job of providing value to our audience. And he focuses his show on the intersection of project management and leadership, which is right in the sweet spot for so many of us. And most importantly about Andy is he's from Chicago and people from Chicago, of (laughs) course, are good people, right, Andy? Well, let's go with that. Absolutely. Great people here in Chicago. <laughs> you know, being from Chicago, it's just such yeah. a great place. You know, I, uh, I, I miss being down in the city and getting to do all the fun things you get to do in Chicago. It's, it's not quite the same out here in LA. <laughs> and our snow and our cold. <laughs> uh, well, that part, you know, I, I, I like visiting. <laughs> right, <exactly. laughs> that part, I don't miss as much. Right. Well, hey, I am so glad to get connected with you and to chat about this topic because... I think in the, uh, certainly when I thought of project management, I think for a lot of people, when we hear the term project management, Mm -hmm. a lot of times in the past, we thought about people who are running IT projects or maybe running a construction project. And of course, that is an aspect of project management. And yet it doesn't really capture the full meaning of what project management is today, does it? Right. Yeah, you're exactly right. In fact, you know, I, uh, I grew up in IT. Out of school, I was a software developer. And so I grew up thinking of my work as projects because that's kind of how IT does it. Certainly construction does it that way. But 
as I kind of had to start working with different domains and different areas, all of a sudden you realize there is some commonality there. And there's this organization, the Project Management Institute, and they've got a definition where they talk about, you know, there's knowledge you need to have and skills and there's tools you can use. But the key part of their definition ends with this. It's basically, what are all those things you do? And it ends with, to meet project requirements. Mm. Now, I'll tell you, Dave, what I love about that definition is it, is it reinforces the why behind project management. Because sometimes people think, oh, project management. In fact, I, I just love to watch body language of people that walk into our workshops. They're kind of like, got to go through project management training. This is going to be <laughs> right. boring. But what, what you realize is that project management, it's not about thick methodology documents. It's not about a bunch of hoops to jump through. It really ultimately is about what are those things we do to go from idea to delivery. And yeah. inevitably within, within organizations, that's what we have to do regardless of our title. In fact, there's a financial services company I work with here in Chicago that this is the way they say it to their people. They say, all right, you've got your day job. <laughs> so you got your day job you have to do. And then you have those things above and beyond your day job that have a due date on them. And mm. that's where you use project management. And I think... Maybe you've got a listener out there, David, that doesn't have to do something above and beyond their typical day job. But I think most companies really, we, we're faced with that, that we have to keep juggling you know, all that we normally have to do. But above and beyond that, the boss says that we have to hit the end of the quarter with this, or we have to have this done by the end of the year. So ultimately, project management, regardless of title, I, th- I like to think of it as, it's, I guess it makes me kind of geeky here, but it's just a basic skill we need for our career, like conflict management skills, like influencing skills, like time management skills. It's project management skills. How do we get things done? How do we go from idea to delivery? Well, and and you've just captured what I think, um, like you said, I'm, I'm sure there are people that don't fall in this category, but the vast majority of the coaching for leaders community is tasked with that. And if they're not tasked with it, they're the ones driving it of how do we really work something to a deliverable? How do we either deliver that internally for a larger organization and for a lot of our our community how do we deliver that for customers and yeah. uh, so many of us are being called upon to do a lot more with a lot of different stakeholders and that's mm-hmm. um and the world has really changed around this yeah. uh, you know when i when i think about what the world was like in the organizational world you know, 10 years ago and when i started my career and even like my parents generation sure. the world was in some ways and this wasn't true everywhere, Andy, and, and yeah. correct me if you think differently, but I get the sense from talking with our clients and, and talking with people who have seen this transition is that you know, things were a lot simpler. You had one person you reported to and mm-hmm. they, you know, you always went through them for everything. And maybe you interfaced with some people inside the organization and, and you interfaced with some customers, but everything went through, you know, a very clear organizational structure and hierarchy. Yeah. And today <laughs> yeah. I find that even in the organizations where there's still a very clear org chart, which is not as many anymore, it seems like we're spending as much time talking with stakeholders and in fact, probably more time in a lot of organizations. And we're even talking with a manager or the person that we formally report to that, that being able to manage and influence lots of different stakeholders internally and externally is really kind of the way things are going these days. Yeah. I just 100% agree with you on that one, Dave. In fact, I would say early in my career, we were much more co-located, right? So we were in the same building for the most part. Uh, most of the stakeholders I dealt with were primarily people like me in that we used similar vocabulary and had similar backgrounds and things like that. 
Now, I mean, just imagine the number of people that listen to you each week that are over an ocean, right? There, yeah. and and in the workplace, it's so much more diverse. Where maybe English isn't that first language, or we have to try to influence stakeholders in different parts of the organization. Which the truth is, they think what we do is magic, and what we think they do is we don't, you know, so we don't understand each other as well. So this whole issue of stakeholder management is so critical for all of us because. I guess I agree. Early in my career, I felt like I owned my own destiny or my team. We could get things done. But now within organizations, we have to touch so many people to get their buy-in, to get their sign-off, to be dependent on them delivering things. And we don't have positional power over them. And so we have to find ways to influence them. So I, I think you're exactly right. I think the challenge is only get more difficult. Oh, and, and you've hit something there that's huge is the positional power piece used to be yeah. we all had work. I shouldn't say we all, but a lot of us yeah. had work where it was structured in a very certain way. This person had authority over this particular area or this particular group of people. And so much more now the world is how do we influence by yeah. influence? It's, it's about relationships and it's how do yeah. we get enthusiastic cooperation. It's not compliance anymore. And even, right. I, and of course, even back then, you know, it worked a lot better influence-wise than trying to be compliant. Sure. And I think that's, it's a great opportunity, but it's also a big challenge that's in front of a lot of us. And I know the statistics vary on this, Andy, and you and I talked about this a little bit before our conversation yeah. today, but success is often elusive for <sighs> a lot of people who are managing projects or are part of a team that's working toward a deliverable. What do you see in the work with your clients and the experts you have on your show that are some of the leading causes of why projects are struggling and, and being able to manage stakeholders is a struggle? Sure. You know, I mean, there are all kinds of things we could talk about. You know, one of them is kind of interesting. It's sometimes referred to as the planning fallacy, which basically says the further something is out. So if somebody has something due at, uh, you know, 12 months out, we're, we're pretty optimistic. You know, we're kind of an optimistic species, all things considered, right? So if you have something that's due 12 months out, we're pretty optimistic. If it's due at the end of this month, are you nuts? <laughs> so, so there's this planning fallacy that kind of gets in the way that sometimes we struggle just because we're too optimistic. But if we want to keep it in the context of stakeholders, you know, one of the really important things that gets in the way of project success is it's often referred to in the different studies, one way or the other, along the lines of insufficient involvement that we don't sufficiently involve the people that we really need. Even, even uh, Project Management Institute, when I say PMI, that's what I mean. PMI's definition of stakeholders is actually kind of interesting here, Dave, and it, and it applies. They talk about who are those people that could impact us? So any, of, any one of us delivering a project, who is it that's out there that could impact us? Who is it that we're going to impact? And then there's actually kind of an intriguing third one, and that is, who perceives that they're going to be impact, but they're not, but they're still freaking out, you know? Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. so, so the cast, the definition of stakeholder is really casting a very wide net there. And so what that means is we're almost always inflicting more pain or change onto the organization or to our customers than we realize. So a leading cause of failure struggle is we've got the obvious people that we're like, all right, yeah, this is going to, we're going to deliver for them. But what we don't see are these ripple effect people that all of a sudden they're going to look at this and they're going to say, yeah, but that changes my data or that changes the way I do things. And we end up blindsiding them and maybe they end up blindsiding us as well. And so we don't, so we don't involve them because we don't even identify that we need to. But I think if, if, if we're honest here, there are some stakeholders 
that we don't even want to involve. <laughs> you know? I mean, there's some that are just a lot higher maintenance than others. I mean, you, you wouldn't want to say that publicly in front of them, but there are some that are like, oh man, if I invite these people to the meeting, if if I ask them for their requirements, they're just going to make things worse or they're never happy. Even for the people that are difficult people, we have to find a way to involve them. It helps manage their expectations and it helps manage our expectations as well. Well, this this gets right into the meat of what we're going to talk about is how do we... How do I think we all know we should do that, <laughs> and, right. and yet you know we're all humans. So right. yeah. you know, there's certain people that are not as easy to work with, or there's that certain customer that are like, well, maybe we won't invite that person to the meeting. And so we, and, and sometimes we don't even do it consciously, but we don't think right. about being as proactive as we could. And I think yeah. for a lot of us, it's just because we don't we don't have good tactics, and we don't really know some strategies in order to really do that proactively. And so. One of the types of these people, and and you you had identified for me in advance, is someone who's maybe in the category of being a little more unresponsive, and and this can happen both someone who's internal to our organization, but it also can certainly happen with a customer too. So they've they've probably got good intentions, but they don't have the same sense of urgency about yeah. the project, uh, or, and even sometimes it's the customer. I've run into this too, Andy, where sure. the customer has defined the requirements, and yet they just don't have this 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 sense of urgency to hit the de- the hit the deadline and and you know <laughs> that if yeah. you don't hit the deadline it's going to it's going to reflect badly on your organization and yet they're the ones that are missing the deadlines right. or not not being as as helpful as far as information what are some things that we can do tactically when we run into that that stakeholder who's maybe in a little bit more in that unresponsive category sure yeah like they're sitting across the table from you and they're nodding their head and yeah, we'll get that done or whatever. And and it just doesn't, you know, this really funny guy in the podcast a couple of years ago named Peter Bregman, he wrote a book called Four Seconds and 18 Minutes was a separate book. But anyway, he says in the book, Four Seconds, he goes, whenever you find yourself saying, I can't believe they did it again. He goes, just use that to remind yourself. Stop saying you can't believe they did it again because they did it again. You know? mm. The fact is that they continually haven't delivered. So if we're in a situation where we're trying, where we're reliant on someone else, and this this is the world we live in for all the reasons you and I talked about before, hope is not a good strategy. Hope is a wonderful thing for mankind, but it's a terrible thing for projects. So instead of hoping that they're going to deliver, here's a very practical tactic. I learned this from Robert Cialdini and his co-author Steve Martin about their books on influence, and they call it commitment and consistency. And the, the example that they give in the book is a restaurant taking a reservation. So let's say you're making uh, reservations, you know, for an anniversary or a special, whatever. You, you know, and, and so you, you'd call, and at the end of the call, the person who's on the phone at the restaurant would say something along the lines of, all right, Dave, we've got you down for a party of two, Saturday night, 6.30, if you can't make it, just give us a call. We'll see you Saturday night at 630. Right? So that's a pretty normal sort of conversation. Right. But what they found is most people showed up. But of the people that didn't show up, 30% of them didn't call. And depending on the business model of the restaurant, I mean, that's money literally left on the table. And so uh, it's actually a Chicago restaurant who did this. They, they changed the script just a little bit. They changed the script at the end of the call to say, if we got you down for a party of two Saturday night at 630. And by the way, if you can't make it, Will you call us? Pause. Okay. Now, hmm. I mean, what are you going to say? I mean, you're really going to say no, right? I mean, I think without even thinking 
all of us would say, sure, or yeah. Yeah, but and we're not going to go to some sort of, you know, to-do app to kind of remind us, yeah, we just, without even thinking, we say yes. That simple question dropped the no-shows from 30% to 10% overnight. Oh, okay? interesting. Yeah, so here's, here's the practical tip when it comes to stakeholders. Instead of saying, all right, the due date for this is... You know, two weeks from now, or let's say it's eight days from now. Instead of, hey, due dates uh, eight, eight days from now, instead of saying, hey, let me know if you have any problems, like that would be a typical thing I would say. Hey, let me know if you have any issues. Right? Yeah, yeah. What, what I've learned to do now, especially when it's the one, the stakeholder I'm a little bit more concerned, I say, you know, you don't have to get back to me right away, but we do need your sign off within eight days. If you don't, the project slips. By every day, it's not done. Can you hit eight days? Pause. And, you know, <laughs> I think we could probably say there's three possible answers to that, you know, yes, no, or maybe Cialdini would say, if they say yes, they're more likely to do it, especially the more public that yes is. Mm. If, if they say no, well, at least we know now, not eight days from now, and we can change the conversation to, well, what's getting in the way? You know, is there anything I can do? But at least we understand it. The, the interesting one is when they say maybe, because, you know, you, you know, how do you deal with that one? I just treat maybe like a no. <laughs> if, they say, if they say maybe, treat it like a no. It's the same thing. You ask the questions, well, what, what is getting in the way? What would it take to turn it to a yes? Because ultimately, if the project's going to slip, if they don't get done, we have to escalate it to, you know, to let people know it's going to slip. So I find it just changes the nature of the conversation with that stakeholder. It's not a threat. You know, it's, it's just it's asking a really honest question. Can you hit eight days or whatever it is? Pause and make them answer it. And I, I would have no problem doing that with people who reported to me. But I got to tell you, Dave, where, where I struggled with that early on was, well, what if somebody's higher in the organization? Because sometimes we're dependent on those stakeholders too. Sure. But I, but I found it's an honest question. And as long as we watch our body language and vocal tone you know, while we communicate that, it's an honest question. And it, and it gets them on record of saying, can they make it or not? So it's, it's, a, it's, it's not magic, but I have to tell you, I, I found it work on projects. I found it, it works with colleagues. I found it works with my kids. <laughs> I mean, just pause, let them answer it. Yes, That's great. No, maybe. So. I, I love it. I love it. And, and ultimately, you're allowing them to define the requirement, which is, especially if yeah. they're a customer, you know, they should be defining the requirement, right? So right, rather right. than assuming that, you know, Oh, it's eight days because I think it's going to take eight days, or it's eight days because this is what we normally do as our organization. I'm putting the responsibility for that back on them, as it should be, because they're the ones that really know their organization better than we do. They know yeah. what success should look like, and and like you said, at least we know in advance. Even if they say something like, "Oh, eight days is is too long," you know, we need this in five days. Well, at least <laughs> you know then, and you know what the expectation is, and how that organization may work a little different culturally. You know, as a tricky one is sometimes maybe's close cousin, probably. <laughs> so mm, they, yeah. hey, can you hit eight days? And they go, probably. You know, then it feels like, ah, oh, you know, maybe I don't want to escalate it. But something I learned from the Heath brothers from their book, Decisive, is you can, you can set a tripwire. So let's say it's eight days. You can say, well, listen, it sounds like you're optimistic about this. How about we set a tripwire three days into this? And if three days into it, you're on track, that's great. But if we're already behind schedule three days into it, let's escalate and then we're going to have to reforecast. And so it's once again, it's, it's having, I, I just feel like it's a healthy conversation with the stakeholder. It's not a threat. It's not mean. 
It's just let's have a business-based discussion of what's possible. And, and if they say to the eight days, they say no, but I can do it in nine. Right? If they, you know, the, yeah, then no maybe that's okay. But as you and I have both said, at least we know it now, not having to try to scramble eight or nine days from now. Right? I'm just reminded of how so much conflict, disagreement comes from unclear expectations. So oh, yeah. if we get that out of the way up front of just just being real about, like you said, you're not you're not being trying to be difficult. You're just trying to be real about what's everyone's timeline for everything. Then then you involve them. Everyone's clear on that. And it's a lot less likely you're going to run into issues down the road. And if you do, at least everyone knows where everyone stands. So I, I, you, could, you could argue in some ways that a lot of life comes down to managing expectations. Oh, totally. <laughs> uh, if I've learned anything in 27 years of marriage, it certainly applies there. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and, but, but, you know, when it comes to stakeholders, if I don't sufficiently think through who I'm impacting or who could impact us, I'm not going to manage their expectations. I think this is just one of those huge areas of how I manage projects differently today than how I did in the past because I didn't take the time to really understand how wide of an impact, you know, how much chaos or, or pain I'm going to be inflicting in the organization. So thinking that through ahead of time and realizing that not all stakeholders are created equal. They are certainly when it comes to respect and things like that. But what I mean is some are going to be a lot more influ- influential than others. And, you know, kind of a hack related to that is uh, sometimes it's called the um, influence and involvement you look at those two scales, how much influence or power do they have? How involved are they? Mm. And what you do is just say, man, for those people who have a lot of power and they're heavily involved, we have to manage them differently than the people that aren't really all that involved and you know, don't have that much power. And, and the hack is that sometimes we think we have to respond to every email right away, every phone call right away. If I actually have a client that they say every phone call must be answered, you have to pick it up before the third ring. And I know they have good intentions on responsiveness for that, but there are some people, <laughs> this is why voicemail was created, right? yeah. it's just not as critical to kind of get back. And so analyzing who are those people I really need to strategically be building relationship with, not even just making assignments or following up, but I need to build the relationship with them. Uh, that's great. And one, one uh, tip I've learned over the years is when you're in a conversation where you may get the sense that maybe the people who are most influential in the discussion or the decision makers aren't currently part of the conversation or haven't aren't in the room. You know, that's kind of an interesting area to navigate because you don't want to you don't want to say to the people in the room like, "Wow, you know, I, I recognize that maybe you aren't the decision maker." Right. Um, <laughs> Can I talk so, to somebody who matters. Yeah, right. Yeah, right exactly. <laughs> Not the way to win friends and influence people. <laughs> but one of the things, one of the great questions I learned a while back is, in addition to you, who else is important to have part, as part of this conversation? And I found that that's a really helpful just just a data point for sometimes getting the other party thinking of like, "Oh, yeah, we should have you know, the VP involved in this conversation, or at least give their input, or at least have, you know, a, a one-on-one with them at some point as we're going through this planning process. And that can be really helpful as far as engaging people and, and to do it in a, in a, in a very appropriate professional way. Yeah, Dave, that's brilliant. And, you know, kind of related to that is in the spirit of we're probably inflicting more pain or change in the organization. Another question could be along the lines of, hey, do you know anybody else who's going to be impacted by this project that may not be as obvious to us, you know? And so, cause they may be able to see it. So, Nice. I, uh, I love your thinking on that. Good. I, I love that question too. Cool. All right. So 
now I know this has never happened with you or me, Andy, <laughs> that we've ever had any difficult colleague or customer that we've worked with. But for those people out there who've ever worked with someone <laughs> difficult, of course, tongue in cheek, you know, most people really do approach the workplace and their work. I'm, I'm, I'm just a big believer that very few people wake up in the morning and go to work and think like, I'm just going to make everyone's life miserable today. Right, I, I right. really do think everyone genuinely, not everyone, but most people genuinely do roll into work, get on the conference call, are part of the meeting, and they really are there wanting to do the best they can. I sometimes agree. sometimes it doesn't always execute well and, and they don't come off that way. But there are certainly people that we just don't see eye to eye with and are the difficult people. And like we talked about up front, uh, maybe the person that we kind of hesitate even involved in the conversation. Yeah. What are some ways to deal with some of those difficult stakeholders? And and maybe I'm even curious, like, what are the things you run into that you see yeah. with, with stakeholders yeah. that are difficult? But what are some tactics we can think about to, to sure. manage those situations? No, you're right. They're they're out there. And I, I okay. So here's here's something I just learned recently because we had um, Dr. Mark Goulston on talking about his book, Talking to Crazy. How's that for a title? Oh Talking yeah, he's crazy. been on this show too. He's a, he's fabulous. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. So so from his your discussion with him, you realize it's not that they're certifiably mentally ill, right? It's just that they are irrational in our mind, and so sometimes those difficult people, it, to me, I see them as a difficult person. To them, they are being perfectly rational. Right? Yeah. They, they see themselves as they're they're being persistent and that they're standing on principle. And so, the I guess the first bit of advice is that difficult person just realize there's a reason behind the way they're acting. It may not be obvious, and you and I may not agree that it's a valid reason. But I mean, Mark makes it clear that don't try to talk the irrational person into what is your rationality because they're just going to think you're clueless. <laughs> so, you know, I guess the, the, the key thing for that difficult person is just if we can reframe it in our mind, okay? Like I'll see somebody just getting all upset about a, a certain thing. Maybe they, uh, whether it's the change that's going to happen to the organization or they don't see this as good. And to me, it's like, this is going to be a good thing. I can't, I can't believe you don't see that. But I, I, we can't talk them into be irrational. We can't say settle down and they go, Oh man, Dave, thanks for telling me that. I will. <laughs> you know, it's just not going to happen. So kind of a, the hack of sorts or the tip is, can I reframe it in my mind to look at this person as a challenge? Now, what I mean by that, it, I mean challenge in a good way. I'm not saying it's not a problem. It's an opportunity. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, can I, can I reframe it in my mind of what would it take to win them or to neutralize them. And I'm not talking about in the soprano sort of way neutralize <laughs> but how can, right, how, can right. we, how can we take it as a challenge to really understand this person? Like think, Dale Carnegie said, try honestly to see things from the other person's point of view, right? So just to see if yes. we can get into That's their it. mind of like, why is this such a why is this such a frustration point for them, even though it's yeah. not something that we see or, or can understand? Yeah, there's, there's the book was a couple years ago called I Hear You. But one of the ideas from that that I just so love, Donnie Evanstein's the author. He goes, listen to the other person's story so well that you can say it as well as them. Uh, and what I, what I nice. love about that is uh, too often with that difficult stakeholder, and uh, I'm telling you as the guy who teaches this stuff, right? So I struggle. I'm so, it's so difficult for me to listen to them because I want to be working on my defense or the counterpoint. And uh, Donnie Ebenstein's point, and I hear you, is listen to them so well that you can tell their story as well as they are. So the, the, uh, the way it would come down would be along the lines of, well, 
I guess it's maybe a variation of a Carnegie principle too, but it's along the lines of, well, if I were you, I might think that as well, right? So I, I seem to recall yeah. it's a Carnegie thing. So yeah. in this case, it'd be the, well, if I were you, I think this is how I would say it. And then you tell it back to them. And the times I've used this, Dave, it, in fact, one time I'm thinking of in particular, the person was really going through a difficult thing and he just kind of sat back and he threw his arms up. He goes, finally, finally, someone over here understands what, you know, what I'm saying. But the thing is, there was very little alignment to that position and reality, <laughs> okay? Ah. But I, I finally took the time longer than it should have to, to understand. I need to listen to him well enough. So I'm not saying that every problem in this world can just be set, you know, let's sit down and kumbaya together. But, but I think too often we're not listening. And if I take it as a challenge of what would it take to, if not, turn them to a raving fan, at least they you know, won't be a detractor of some sort, right? So listen to them. And it's tempting when someone treats us poorly, it's tempting to respond in kind. And so as difficult as it might feel humanly, there is something, there is wisdom in the whole turn the other cheek sort of mindset of, listen, I'm going to take the high road with them. And so sometimes when people continue to just be obstinate and difficult to deal with, they end up showing their own colors. Yeah. But if we kind of fall into the, you know, like what's the phrase, don't wrestle with pigs because you get muddy and the pigs like it, you know, yeah. if we fall into that same thing with them, then we're just as guilty. And so, um, you know, a couple other things. Sometimes people are difficult because they don't understand the why behind a decision. And so if, if when we're rolling something out or communicating something, whether it's a project or, or any sort of situation, I think too often I know the why. And maybe the, the leadership team that, that was considering it, you know, we all wrestled with it maybe even for months. But when it gets communicated, we don't explain the why behind the decision. So mm. sometimes that can make a difference. And I, I, I guess one last thing that comes to mind for the difficult person is it's, it's tempting when they are really difficult, it's tempting to say, hey, if they're at that meeting, I'm not going <laughs> or, or I'm not going to invite them to that meeting, you know, that sort of thing. And, you know, the old phrase, keep your uh, friends close and your enemies closer. Mm, I learned from yeah. uh, Dr. Nick Morgan that don't be like those uh, international politicians that when they have to go to the same international meeting, they don't look each other in the eye. You know, it, you sit you don't sit in the same room with them you sit right next to them <laughs> and you just you just show that you're not afraid of them. it's not a it's not inviting them to a fight but what you what you don't you don't back off you you uh, like amy we had amy cuddy on recently the uh, ted talk about you know body language and she, she's just like what happens is too often we just start kind of closing in when you're around these difficult stakeholders yeah, and to them, that's like smelling blood in the water for a shark. So it's just show confidence. The confidence is not, I'm better than you are. It's not that. It's, listen, I know my project. I've done my homework here. Yeah. I know how this will help the organization. It, you know, those sorts of things, all of those, I'd have to say, I have to draw on when I'm dealing with that really difficult stakeholder. Because what you want to say is, really? Do you have to be that mean about it? Or is it, you know, does it have to be that, that difficult but, you know, sometimes that pops up. I love the advice of being able to tell the story as well as they have told it. You and I have both done coaching, and yeah. so much of coaching is, and, and good leadership too, really, is understanding where you're starting from with yeah. someone or a relationship or with a team and, and, and spending time getting really, really clear on where people are first and then moving from there. And 
man, so I, I hadn't thought about that from the standpoint of a stakeholder and, and really mm-hmm. thinking about that through listening. So that's awesome. Yeah. Really cool stuff. We haven't even hit on the thing that I find the most challenging actually yet <laughs> with stakeholders <laughs> because I, I've run into these situations, I'm sure you have too, with where people are unresponsive or they're difficult. And I actually, I have run into those, but I don't run into that as much as I run into this other problem, which is the quantity of different stakeholders that I need to interact with on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. And it seems like to me, Andy, when I talk to people these days and when I'm talking with our clients, just the amount of an overwhelm is a, is a term I hear, hear a lot. You know, it, it, the world was a lot simpler, you know, 10, 15, yeah. 20 years ago, and that you had a lot of people had just one or two reporting relationships. Sure. Now it may be that there's 10 or 15 different stakeholders who have, com- in some cases, competing priorities, do not have their deadlines aligned. You know, things are all like happening at once in some cases yeah. with multiple projects. What are some of the things that not only you've done, but the people you've worked with have done to just manage some of the quantity of all these relationships, even if they're going well? It's a, it's a great question, Dave. And I don't have any easy answers on this because every situation can vary significantly. But I've been influenced so much just in the last week by um, Cal Newport with his book, Deep Work. Yeah, yeah, he was just on the show recently. I mean, I don't want to exaggerate by saying it's life altering, but I got to tell you, there's so many ideas from that 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 have forced me to kind of relook at how I go about some things. And one of the principles that he talks about is basically life is made up of what you pay attention to. Now, that can be a pretty deep philosophical even way to look at it, but it can also look at from a project management perspective or from any sort of leadership. What is it we pay attention to? And, you know, there are so many things vying for our attention, right? So they're, they're vying for our attention and some of them are shinier objects than others. And when there's this quantity of stakeholders, there just aren't enough hours in a day to service every one of them. And to to respond to every one of the I, either requests or to you know do the relationship building things that are necessary. So from from a project management perspective, which can transcend into a lot of different other domains as well, one of the one of the leading causes of success it's sometimes referred to as executive support. Okay? So the reason I want to bring this up is even if you have hundreds of stakeholders, there's probably one or two. They're going to carry the day. Their opinion of what success looks like, how it's going to be measured. And uh, one particular study from the Standish Group basically said executive support trumps firm basic requirements, things like a formal methodology, reliable estimates. The point is you can have these unbelievably great plans, but if your boss or your boss's boss or the customer or whoever it is who's like funding the project or the initiative if they're not behind you, if they don't have your back, so to speak, forget about it, right? So the, the danger is looking at that quantity and say, I have to service every one of them equally. More so, it's, all right, who are these strategic people that I really, in um, Cal's you know, terminology, that I need to get my most attention on these people here? And I'd argue it's often up mm-hmm. and, and out. Not to say we ignore our team, but too many of us fall into the trap of micromanaging our team and not doing enough of the relationship building, like Hermini Ibarra calls it, narcissistic relationships. Our, net- our networks are narcissistic. And what she means by that is that we're just too much like us. So if you're in IT, all your, ki- all your real relationships are with an IT. They're not further out in the organization. And so 
we, we just we just have to say, listen, the boss or the boss's boss, whoever the you know is judging the value of this class I, or this of this particular project or initiative, how do they going to define success? What keeps them awake at night? Who else are these strategic people that if I can keep them informed, but not just informed, I guess in the, in the large quantity issue that you're talking about here, Dave, I mistake keeping informed for keeping satisfied. And if uh, I've learned anything in 27 years of marriage, I'll say this too. There's a difference between keeping my wife informed and keeping her satisfied. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much <laughs> so, any relationship yeah, too. Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so for, so those, for those people, even though there, there may, might be dozens or hundreds of them, who are the most important people that we need to really keep satisfied that we really need to be listening to? And it's not always obvious up front, but if it's not obvious or because maybe we don't have those relationships by spending enough time understanding the culture of the organization and you know some of the other factors there, it, it can help. But where I have buried myself in the past and I've seen too many overwhelmed executives is we just try to treat everyone the same way. And you'd argue there's nothing as unequal as equal treatment of unequals, right? I mean, that's a Ken Blanchard phrase. We can't manage everyone the same way in the spirit of situational leadership. So same thing with our stakeholders. And I, uh, I really am intrigued by that, that term, almost narcissistic network. Is that the, the term you used? Yeah, yeah. Her book yeah. is uh, Act Like a Leader, Think Like a Leader. And she's something like in the top 10 of the thinkers 50 and uh, it's a, I, I personally think it's a great book. Act like a leader, think like a leader. I think it's a 2015 book, and oh, nice. it's, a, it's a great it's a great resource for people who are just new to a new level. Because yeah, maybe we feel yeah. comfortable in our current level, but when we go to that next level, all of a sudden it's I don't know if I feel like a VP or I I, I have these internal doubts. And she has a lot of ideas there. And so before you get there, of building these relationships further out. That's one step of her whole process there. So that's really interesting. And I think so many of us fall in the trap of we tend to just, you know, build our networks within our own specialty or industry or yeah. our own network. And it, it's one of the reasons mm-hmm. I, I haven't engaged very much with like some of the training development coaching organizations is I, I'm thinking like, wow, limited time. I'd rather spend time where my clients are, <laughs> you know, yeah. where, where, yeah. where are they going as far as their yeah. conferences and organizations. And so it's really, uh, I love that framework, but let, we'll track it down and get it in the show notes too. Yeah. Um, speaking of the show notes, you have a resource for folks who'd like to, I mean, if this has been uh, intriguing to you, and you know, it's this has been really uh, valuable for me of just thinking through some strategies on how to how to manage and influence different stakeholders. You have some resources as well, Andy, for folks, and 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 also an offer for folks if they want to uh, really dive into this even more. Yeah, you know, I, I would encourage somebody that if they're listening, and they said, "Well, you know, I haven't really thought of myself as a project manager, but maybe a little bit more open minded to the fact that we all have to deliver." I would say, regardless of whatever resources someone uses, consider this as an area of personal development. You know, I, I want to get better with my time management, my conflict management, all those other things that we talked about. Add project management to it, and there are there are so many ways to do it, and and they're from podcasts to books to just. My, one of my favorites is just watching the project managers around you. You know, watch how they lead. How do they lead that meeting? How do they get commitment out of people and things like that? But we, we do have an e-learning offering called Essentials of Project Management. And it's really designed for, well, certainly people that are true project managers. But it's also, we have everybody from administrative assistants and salespeople and all kinds of different roles that will take it to learn more about project management. 
And for listeners of your podcast, man, we got a coupon code for $50 off. So I'll give that to you offline. You can put that in the show notes. And if somebody wants to uh, say, this is the year I want to get better at delivering all that's on my plate, it'd be a real privilege to work directly with them. Nice. Well, thank you so much for offering that. So we'll get that in the show notes. And for those of you who get the weekly leadership guide on Wednesdays, that'll be included in the guide as well. Link to that. Andy, I really appreciate your time. And, and the, you know, the one most important question I haven't asked you yet uh, is, you know, you're from Chicago. So are you a Cubs fan or Sox fan? Yeah, I grew up in central Illinois and one side of the street were Cardinal fans and the other side of the street were Cub fans. Sox fans weren't actually not allowed in that town. So I grew up listening to WGN and being a, a Cubs guy. So yeah, uh, next year is the year or this, this will be the year here, Dave. This will be the year. <laughs> Andy, all I got to say, my friend, is that was absolutely the right answer. Andy Kaufman <laughs> is the host of the People and Projects podcast. Andy, thanks a ton for your time. I appreciate it. My pleasure, Dave. Thank you. Thank you to Andy. I love that perspective on telling the story of others as well as they can tell it. <laughs> That's great. That's a, such, a, such a worthy and noble objective for so many of us when we're thinking about the stakeholders that we're influencing and leading and ultimately serving. So thank you to Andy for that perspective. I hope that you'll uh, check out the link he mentioned for the course. If that's helpful to you, we'll put the link in the show notes. And of course, uh, check out Andy's show if you find that his perspective was helpful to you. And especially if you're doing a lot of project management, I think you'll find a lot there as well too. And as always, we welcome your comments, questions, feedback. You can reach the show notes for this episode at coachingforleaders.com slash 240. And of course, if you are part of the weekly leadership guide, you get that automatically in your inbox on Wednesdays, along with the full leadership guide with lots of great resources and tools that'll help you to be more effective in your leadership development on an ongoing basis. And if you'd like to get that, just go over to coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe, and you will get my weekly Wednesday leadership guide. And that always has a lot of different resources, articles, links, podcast episodes uh, from other shows, uh, things that I think will be helpful for you to have top of mind in your own leadership development and and be resources you can pass along to others. And of course, it always includes the weekly show notes too. So again, that's at coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe. And we're always also looking for questions for the monthly, the first Monday of the month Q&A shows. And so if you're thinking about something, maybe struggling with something, and want our perspective on it, go to coachingforleaders.com slash feedback, and you can submit your question there. Hey, a big thank you this week to I am I-R-A-K. I think that's uh, the, the name from Canada. Thank you so much for the very kind review on iTunes. I so appreciate it. Thank you also to Scott from DC for the kind review on iTunes. Uh, it's a huge help when there are reviews written on iTunes for more people to find the show. If you'd like to write one too, if you've been listening for a bit and have something to say about the show, go to coachingforleaders.com slash iTunes and have a great week. And I look forward to seeing you again next Monday. Take care.